All right, all right. Good morning, church family. We better get started. I guarantee you we have a lot of ground to cover this morning. I see some new faces. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here along with Pastor Cleet, Pastor Charles, and Pastor Nick. I know people are not listening yet, Tommy. Huh? I should do attention. That always, but that doesn't set the tone we're looking for. Hey, I do want to say praise God that Rebecca, Rebecca's father, Gene, is with us. If you know anything of the story, he had a terrible fall. We prayed for him much, and here he is, as healthy as can be. He says he wants to wrestle Pastor Cleet just to show that his strength is back. So let's go. But it is so great to see you here, brother. God has been gracious. God has been gracious. So we had a couple of pinch hitters on the music team today uh, because Han uh, had to leave. He was the team leader this morning. Ping, who's with child, may have gone into labor. So we're waiting to hear back. So he had to take off. By the way, Han placed in Detroit at Henry Ford Hospital. So that's huge. So at least seven years. We're super, super happy about that. Thank you to Pastor Nick and as well as, um, who, oh, Brian as well for pinch hitting on the worship team. We've got the World Baseball Classic going on right now. You should watch it. U.S. is on tonight. But they pinch hit, and he got on base because he was glistening with sweat after leading that set. So thank you so much. Uh, a quick announcement on a Good Friday service we're going to have, which is Good Friday, uh, the Friday before Easter. And seven men from this church are going to each be given, uh, giving a five-minute sermonette, if you will, on one of Jesus' seven last sayings from the cross. Would the men who are here who are preaching in that, would you stand up? So we have Tom. We have Stephen. Brother Joe. Who, where else? Come on, guys. Arpith right here. So we're missing Leo and Anwar and Ryan. His car's keys got locked in his car, so he's taking care of that right now. But he's preaching, and he's actually batting clean up the last of the seven. So if you would be praying for these men as they prepare, be working with them on that. That will be 6 p.m. Good Friday. Speaking of Easter, we are moving in. We're going to step out of Matthew for three weeks. We're going to do Easter in Isaiah, and uh, Ryan actually designed that for us. We're going to just three messages on the Lord's um, the suffering servant's determination, crucifixion, and resurrection. Remember, these are great opportunities to get friends under the sound of the gospel. So be very diligent, be very intentional about getting your non-Christian friends out to these services. They might hear the great news of Jesus Christ. Did God really say? Anybody heard that expression before? It's a conference that we have coming up to address uh, some of the ideologies that are infecting the church that are not consistent with the Word of God. Um, uh, registration continues to go up, so I just want to invite you guys to join us for that. We're not going to do it at the building anymore. We're going to do it out at another church in Canton just because of registration numbers. Then, finally, the Daniels are moving into their new home on uh, just, just not that far away in Chicago on the other side of Woodward. And they are going to need a lot of help Saturday morning. At what time, brother? Okay, so he'll send out a communication. But it would be great just for an army of people to go out, help them move. And if you can help them Friday night, I, I believe there might be some moving going on there as well. So reach out to the Daniels on that. All right. I am a man under orders, which means I don't cook up what I preach on. I preach on what God has given us. Because quite frankly, the text I'm going to preach this morning, I maybe would prefer to preach another text that would be more warm and fuzzy. But everything the Lord gives us is for our good, right? We take the Clint Eastwood approach to Scripture here. We do the good, the bad, and the ugly. We just preach across books of the Bible. So if you would stand to your feet as I read our text for this morning and pray, and then we will dive into the word. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 down to verse 29, the end of the chapter. Jesus said, Matthew 7 and 13, 
enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. It's a pretty strong word, isn't it? We need the Lord's help, don't we? Father, we ask that your spirit would apply these words to our hearts, that we might see what we need to see, that we might make sure that we are on the narrow way, and Lord, that we might warn those who maybe confess Christ, but really are still on the broad way. Lord, I'm not sufficient for this. I'm never sufficient for this, and I feel acutely weak for this task this morning. So I rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do. And for your glory and for the good of your people, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may grab a seat. Thank you. Several years ago, the Tigers were in the American League Championship Series. And with great joy, I secured a pair of tickets off of either Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace. Now, I'd like to say that the Tigers are going to be in the playoffs again this year, but since I'm touching on false prophets, I don't want to be one. I'll just say wishful thinking. My oldest son, Kevin, and I were so pumped. We had our forming mill Tigers knockoff gear, not quite trademark stuff, you know, cheap Tigers gear there. We went there. We were all decked out for the game. We stopped at Family Dollar on the way to stuff our pockets with uh, food to eat because ballpark food's really expensive. And man, we were pumped. Long line into the turnstile. The place was buzzing with excitement. But can you imagine our excitement after we passed through those wrought iron gates and they went to scan in my freshly bought tickets and it went beep, beep, as in this ain't checking in? And uh, the guy said to us something to the effect of, uh, you got bad tickets. We're like, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. I just bought them. And everybody at Facebook Marketplace is honest anyway, so these are good tickets. Okay, sir, I'll try again. Beep, beep. And he said to me, you do know there are counterfeit tickets out there, and you bought yourself a pair of them. I remember how dejected I was. My head hung low. My son Kevin trying to call me because... I was saying some things under my breath I won't repeat this morning. I wanted to get a hold of that guy so bad. Man, we were disappointed. 
But as disappointed as we were not to get into a baseball game because we had counterfeit tickets, how infinitely more devastating will it be not to get into heaven because you embrace counterfeit Christianity? Jesus is concerned about that. And that's why he issues an urgent warning against counterfeit Christianity. And so to cut to the chase, I want to preach to you on this title, on this theme, on this topic. Jesus' urgent warning against counterfeit Christianity. That's the Lord's word for us this morning. Y'all with me? So let's just dive into the text. He begins in verses 13 and 14 with a hardcore reality check. There's a hardcore reality check. I want you to notice the words, many and few. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it by it are the what? The many. So you got many right here. And then it says, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So what are the two words we're looking at here? Many and few. So what about the many here? Who are the many? It is very important to note that the many here are not people who never heard about Christianity, okay? The many here are not people who, if they have heard about Christianity, rejected it outright. Context is always king. These are people, verses 13 and 14, who are on a spiritual path of sorts, right? The broad path, but they're on a path spiritually, right? You go to the next little section, verses 15 through 20. These are people who listen to prophets or spiritual teachers, right? You go to the next section, you'll find that in verses 21 through 23. And these are people who've made some kind of Christian confession, right? Lord, Lord. And if you go to the very last section, the parable of the two houses, these are people who at least externally look like they're Christians. Same drywall as the other house, same paint, same shutters, and all the rest. Do you get the point? I think the point is plain, and I think it's piercing. The many are people who think they're Christians, and they're really not. And the consequences are devastating. If you look at a few verses, you'll see the consequences, verse 13, is destruction. The consequence of verse 19 is being thrown into the fire. The consequence, verse 23, is for Jesus to say, get away from me. And the consequence, verse 27, is to experience a great and eternal fall. Does Jesus have your attention? He got my attention as I was preparing this text for this message. One of the greatest lies ever told, it's a universal lie, across the world, is that all roads lead to heaven. But there's a cousin to that lie, another lie, that's prevalent in America, and I think prevalent anywhere Christianity has been around for any length of time. And here, here's, here's the sister lie. It doesn't really matter what you believe about Jesus. And it doesn't really even matter how you live for Jesus. You're going to be okay so long as you believe in Jesus, whatever that means. So long as you invite him into your heart, whatever that means. Y'all feel what I'm saying? In 1937, Richard Niebert said this about the social gospel, this counterfeit gospel, this false gospel that's prevalent. Famous quote, maybe you've heard it. He described it as this. A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministry of a Christ without a cross. Let that land. Let, let, let me repeat it. A God without wrath under this false gospel brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministry of a Christ without a cross. I think those words first spoken in 1937 could be just as applicable, if not more, here in 2023. What do you think? Everybody loves Jesus until you begin to biblically define him. 
Spotty Bachum once wrote. You've heard of Thomas Jefferson, third president of our country, in many ways a brilliant man, but he was not a Christian man. He was a deist. He believed in the existence of God, but not the living personal God of the Bible. Thomas, you may know, Thomas Jefferson, literally took a pair of scissors and cut sections out of the Bible he did not agree with for some reason or another. In his words, he was trying to separate the truth from the dunghill. Now, I don't think there's many people today taking a literal set of scissors and cutting stuff out of the Bible, but a lot of people cut stuff out of the Bible or about Jesus that is not to their liking. So this, this false gospel is predicated on a highly edited, airbrushed, fictitious Jesus. And what's more, a failure to call people to true biblical repentance and the failure to say that the gospel truly embraced begins to change your life, however slowly, is common fare in this lie of the American gospel. Now, there are two E's that mark, I think, this counterfeit gospel. Two E's. There's the word evil and the word easy. If you go back to chapter 7, Pastor Cleet hit this last week in a very powerful message. Verse 7, ver, I'm sorry, verse 11. If you then, who are evil, you catch that? Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven good give, give good things to those who ask him? Now, the point he's making right there is God is such a loving Father that if we Evil dads, evil people want to give good gifts to our kids. How much more are you, Heavenly Father? That's the point he's making. But what he's acknowledging is what is not acknowledged in this false gospel is that we're evil, right? This counterfeit Christianity doesn't preach against sin, and it doesn't call men and women to repentance. That's the evil part. The easy part I take right out of verse 12. It is an easy way. And as I will elaborate on a little bit later, it's the hallmark of false teachers to promise the easy way. Are you guys with me? We got to be clear on the narrow way, the hard way. We are saved at the end of the day. We're saved from God. Somebody that's shocking. But God's holy, right? And what are we in ourselves? Sinful, evil. God has a righteous indignation. The Bible calls it wrath. We're saved from God. It's wrath. We're saved from God, but we're also saved for God. In other words, when God saves a man, a woman, a boy, a girl, he then begins to change them from the inside out so they look differently than they did before and differently from the world, right? So we're saved from God. We're saved for God and we are saved by God, by God exclusively. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And while this salvation is by faith alone, saving faith never stands at the end of the day alone. It begins to result in a life, however slowly, however ebbing and flowing, but progressively, ultimately, it begins to produce a life of fruit and good works. All I'm talking about is James 2 stuff, right? And this newness of life that we receive in Christ, it puts us on a very narrow way. Because now the scripture calls us aliens, right? And pilgrims and strangers and sojourners and all that. In fact, it's not only going to be a narrow way, it's going to be a hard way sometimes. Because you're going to have to learn to say no to the trifecta of evil, the world, the flesh, and the devil. So you got the broad way, in which there's no talk of evil. It's easy as long as you high-five Jesus, whatever that looks like. And you got the narrow way where you truly bow down to him and receive him as Lord and Savior. I want to, before I get to the next section, a quick word, a quick word to those who might have a beef with this, you take the Bible so literally Christianity, or you may call it fundamental Christianity, whatever you want to call it. Who you say, that's just so narrow. Anybody say that? That's so narrow. 
Well, what would you say? I'd say, yeah, Jesus agrees with you. He called it narrow. Exactly. You're on to something. But then, and Sean O'Donnell was so helpful in his commentary on this text, I would go on to say, we actually don't have a beef with narrowness and everything else besides faith and religion. We understand actually narrowness is a really good thing, a proper thing. I'm going to give you his quote in just a few minutes, but but let me just give you some thoughts I had on what he was saying. Would you call it narrow if a restaurant required all of its employees to wash their hands after they used the restroom? Oh, you're just so narrow. Would you call it narrow if, say, I don't know, an airline had the audacity to require its pilots know how to fly and be certified even? So, narrow. Would you call, do you think it's narrow that the government says drive on the right side of the road and on the left side? Come on, where's, where's the tolerance there? Now, those are all silly questions, but they make the point, don't they? We actually don't have a problem with narrowness, do we? We know it's a good and sometimes necessary thing. We only have a problem when it comes to faith and religion. Because we're so arrogant, we think we know better than God. Now listen to O'Donnell's quote. We wouldn't question the justice and goodness of a scientist who found the one cure for the plague. So why do we question God who has only provided one cure for our great plague? Thus, the question, why so narrow, is a question of ingratitude and insubordination. It's as contemptible as putting Sir Alexander Fleming on trial for only giving us penicillin, end quote. That's a good quote, isn't it? Makes the point. So the question that should disturb us is not why is the way so narrow? The question that should disturb us is why do people take the broad way when God has provided the way, the truth, and the life in the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Hardcore reality check. Many think they're Christians and they're not. Jesus said that would happen. So are you part of the many or are you part of the few? Are you on the broad way that leads to destruction? Or are you on the narrow way that leads to life? Verses 15 and 20 now. I'll be a little quicker through the text. The big idea in this little section is watch out for false prophets. Don't listen to them is the idea. Jesus is not going to take his foot off the pedal in his urgent warning against counterfeit Christianity in verses 15 through 20. Verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. See, the thing about false prophets is when they wake up in the morning, they go to their closet, and every change of clothing hanging on all ten hangers in their closet is sheep's clothing, sheep's clothing, sheep's clothing. That's all they wear, sheep's clothing. But it goes on to say, inwardly they are ravenous, bloodthirsty, violent wolves. Then he changes the imagery in verse 16. You will recognize them by their fruits or grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. He talks about fruit and then mentions thorn bushes and thistles. In Israel, there's a bush called a buckberry bush. And from a distance, these buckberries actually look like they're grapes. But when you actually pick one off the bush, they're bitter and barely edible. There's also some thistles that produce things that look like they're figs from a distance, but they are not. The point is, the point is clear. Just as fruitless trees can look real from a distance and fool you for a minute, false teachers likewise from a distance and for a time can fool you. So don't be deceived, he says. So twice Jesus says, both in verse 16 and verse 20, you will recognize them by their fruits. And don't overthink, what does he mean there? Really simply this. Their fruit would be what they say, comes out of their lips, they teach, 
and then how they live. The orthodoxy and the orthopraxy, or heterodoxy and heteropraxy. In other words, the fruit of their lips and the fruit of their lives. That's what the Bible talks about. So what's required is that we have absolute discernment as the people of God, especially with stuff being so ubiquitous and everywhere with internet and, and all of that. Here's the deal. If it does not line up with the word, it ought not to be heard. Oh, but they quote a verse. I think Satan did that too. A verse does not mean, quoting scripture does not mean that they're actually speaking the truth. They could be twisting it. There's something called eisegesis, reading into the text rather than exegesis, reading out of what's in the text. Virgil Walker said, if our feet are not planted on the firm foundation of scripture, we're just responding on the basis of whims and emotions. And man, because we are such a feelings-driven culture and society, people imbibe, imbibe all kinds of things in the name of Jesus that are so far from the Scripture. And by the way, what the angle or the hook that false teachers commonly use, certainly in this era, is, you know, we're compassionate, unlike those mean ones who actually take the Bible literally. We're, we're nice. We'll, we'll give you a better way. Oh, we'll still talk about God. Here's what Jesus really meant. We're going to re-image Jesus. Nothing new. You remember in the garden, God said, hey, you can eat any tree you want, but not the, that one tree? Satan comes along and says, hey, 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 don't you want to know good from bad? And he pray, he, 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 he comes, he, ang he angles himself as the compassionate one, unlike God, right? So remember the two E's I said false teachers major on. Not talking about evil and promising the easy way. That's nothing new. There's nothing new there with that. Anyone here ever read the book of Jeremiah? In Jeremiah, see, Jeremiah probably wouldn't have been invited to preach at conferences. He preached against the false prophets. Jeremiah 6.14 repeated all through the book. This is what they do. He said, they heal, they heal the wounds of my people lightly, in other words, superficially, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Instead of saying, listen, we are, we are sinners under the deserved judgment of God, but he's provided mercy in the Son, Jesus Christ. You need to repent of your sin and turn to him and embrace him. They say, you know, you're good just the way you are. Just sprinkle a little Jesus on top. Peace, peace when there is no peace. And false teachers aren't just defined by what they say, but in many cases, by what they're not willing to say. Joel Osteen, and just remember, even a broken clock is right twice a day, okay? He says, I just like to preach positive messages and let people know how much God is for them. Now, in isolation, who could argue against that? I want to be positive. <laughs> Probably rather preach another text than this, as I said in the introduction. I want to let people know that God is for them, but I want to do so in the context of all the truth, right? But because that's, that's his prism, that's his filter, he goes on Larry King Live, he asks him about homosexuality, and he absolutely waffles. Or you have T.D. Jakes, who said, well, I've been evolving on the position of homosexuality. God has not been evolving in his truth. His truth is his truth. Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Why is this so important? Because a man won't want to be saved until he knows he's lost. A woman will not want to be parted until she knows she's on death row condemned. A child will not know he or she is guilty or want to be forgiven until they know that they're guilty. That's why John Wesley, you've heard of the evangelist John Wesley, he would preach the general love of God at first, and then before preaching the grace of the gospel, he would absolutely pound the law so that people could see themselves as they really are, sinners in need of redemption. And man, I was upstairs for a few minutes of the children's time this morning, and 
I was, my heart was just thrilled as Pastor Nick was preaching on the Ten Commandments and what it means, what they are, memorizing them, expounding them. Because they need to see what God intends for us, and they need to look in the mirror of God's law to see, oh, I got more than egg on my face. I've got a wicked heart. But Jesus came for such a people who can recognize that. So parents, make sure you're going through those commandments yourself with your kids. We should all know them as the people of God. The easy way and no real talk about evil. Oh, we might talk about what society says is evil so we can high-five society. But we won't talk about what God says is evil, right? And yet people teach, for instance, hey, 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 chill out, Bible believers. You, you can be a homosexual and still truly follow Jesus. And here's the expression that's out there a lot. There's a wideness in God's mercy. So you really think he would say, depart from me because who you choose to love? People, it's very popular today, once again, a resurgence of this, teach that Roman Catholicism is Biblical Christianity, it's not. Because salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And people are even doing that increasingly with Mormonism, which teaches Jesus was a created being. People say, here's another one, those people who believe in a literal creation, they're just, you know, backwoods people. They don't know nothing. Or, hey, you know, you can believe what you want, but whatever. Never mind the whole storyline of Scripture Predicates on the literal fall, right? And Romans 5.21 says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for all that sin. Somebody says, well, Adam's just mythical. Well, then is Jesus mythical too? Now, I could name a whole lot more names of people that are actually a lot closer to our camp, to our understanding of Christianity. But I'm not going to. Because you know what the biggest threat is? You know what the biggest threat? This is where we'll get real, real mm, here. The biggest threat to the church of God is not people out there. The biggest threat to the church of God is people in here. I'm not naming anybody here, but that's just, that's just true. Those are not my words. Okay. In Acts chapter 20, the apostle Paul draws all the elders together before he's leaving. He says, pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for or shepherd the, the, the flock of God, the church of God, he says, rather, which he purchased with his own blood. Another word, proof text on the deity of Christ, by the way. He says, I know this, that after my departure, fierce, Matthew 7, wolves are going to come in among you, seeking to devour the flock. Now listen. And from your own selves, men will arise speaking twisted things in order to draw disciples away after them. From where does he say? From where? From within yourselves. So he says, he closes here. He says, pay attention. Be alert. Remembering that for three years, he was real serious about this, both day and night, I did not cease to admonish or warn you, and I did so passionately with tears. Now, I just say, perhaps one of the reasons it's most dangerous when it's an inside job in the body of Christ is because of the familiarity and the friendship you have, right? That can blind us from being biblically discerning, not understanding the great danger they pose to the health of the church. Now, such false prophets, wherever they come from, from without or from within, they have a twofold damaging effect. Effect number one, you know what they do? They disturb and sometimes destroy people's faith. I, I know people here who know people whose faith has been destroyed, disturbed, because of false teaching. Paul says in 2 Timothy, I think it's chapter 2, watch out for Hymenius and Alexander who've swerved in their faith and are disturbing the faith of others. Damage people's faith. 
And the other effect they have is this. They promote division and they promote dissension in a church on the way of doing their thing. Now, I want you to listen to the words. Man, I, I just, as you ever read a passage of scripture like, oh, that's in the Bible? <laughs> you know, you've read it before, but it just comes home to you fresh. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 and 5. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords to holiness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy, but what about, what about, what about? And quarreling over words, which produces, here it is, envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions. Oh boy, we live in a season where there's evil suspicions between people because they might earn different amounts of money or look differently or work differently because they're importing humanistic ideologies on how to look at all these problems instead of looking at scripture. People who just walk together in unity. He goes on to say, and constant friction among those who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Imagining that godliness, this false piety, is a means of great gain. That's some strong stuff, right? But it is for our good. Some of you are saying, it just seems really unchristlike. Maybe nobody here is. I hope not, but maybe. So unchristlike to call out false teachers or to say that someone's on a false teacher trajectory or at a minimum, they're at least having false teacher impact even if they're not fully in that category. Some people say that's so unchristlike. And that's because you've imbibed the spirit of the age, if that's you. For today, the only heresy is calling out heresy. I want to remind you of the plain and obvious family. These are not my words. These are Jesus' words, right? These are Jesus' words of saying, beware of false prophets. These are not my words. These are Jesus' words urging us. And Paul even has the audacity, as I just quoted the name too, Hymenius and Alexander. A quote I came across. Christians have taken up the notion that any time a Christian leader speaks out against another so-called Christian leader, they're being judgmental. No, no. It's actually Christ-like to protect you from the wolves. It's part of the job description. Verse 19 says, they will be thrown into the fire. So don't listen to them. Don't follow them. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out. For those who create obstacles and cause divisions contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. That, that's Mark, that's Romans 16, verses 17 and 18. And he says, for such people are actually at the end of the day, they're not serving the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites, their own bellies, the old version says. By deceitful words and flattery, deceive the naive. Watch out. For false teachers. Don't listen to them. Now, I took most of the time on those first two points, so don't wild out on me, all right? Stay with me. Just a few more minutes, okay? Verses 21 and 23, he's saying, basically, watch out for false converts. Again, he's putting, putting the pedal to the metal on this one. Don't be a false convert. There are people who will confess Jesus Christ as Lord publicly and even passionately, Lord, Lord. You see that in the text? There are people who will serve the Lord, who will teach, presumably, for the Lord, even do miracles. And if the miracle thing blew you away, hey, I think Judas probably did a few miracles, you. How about the seven sons of Siva in the book of Acts? They did miracles. And it says in 2 Thessalonians 2, at the end of the age, there's going to be a lot of lying wonders and false signs. But with all that outward flash and facade of piety, 
They reject, verse 21, the will of the Father. And they reject, verse 24, the word of God. It's happening, man. Oh, yeah. And we can, we can let that creep in. You know, we fell out of love. And God wants me to be happy, so we divorce. Now, it happens, and there's all kinds of things, but oh, how that's a default that becomes increasingly prevalent. God would never really mean it when he says, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Let me be clear on that before we talk anymore. I believe the gospel. But Paul really couldn't have meant it when he says, husbands, you sacrificially love your wife all the way to the end. Or wives, you should submit to your husbands as under the Lord. Or God calls males into eldership, not females. No, 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 no. You see, you got it all wrong. Here's what the Greek word really means. <laughs> and people are doing that, by the way, with the word submit being source instead of authority and all that in the Ephesians 5 thing. Now, I'm not going to go there any further because of time. But Jesus, I'm just giving you a few examples, there's many others, is warning that there are people who can regurgitate the gospel but have never really received Christ. He's warning about. It's not that we don't struggle to obey. We all do, right? It's not even that we don't even struggle with some of the hard things he says. We do. We do. It's not a matter of struggling and seeking to conform ourselves to what God says, but it's that some people have literally retooled the Christian faith to their liking. It's build-a-bear Christianity, just like you like. And Jesus calls that lawlessness in verse 23. And all of that hid behind a dead profession. So you can say, oh, I know Jesus. But according to this little section, the thing that really counts is, would Jesus say, I know you? Because to some of you say, I never knew you. Right? Depart from me. If I showed up at the White House and started banging on the guard shack and said, I know Joe Biden. And you guys remember, we're either third or fourth cousins. I haven't done anything for him, but it's actually true. Family tree, Irish. I don't think they'll say, oh, let me go get old Joe for you. They're going to escort me away like this if I persist, right? But if I'm out there knocking on the guard shack and President Biden comes in and says, oh, Mike, I've been waiting for you. You're late. Come on in. Will I get in then? Do you get the point? Does Jesus know you? Do you have a genuine saving relationship with him? And by the way, there is some, I, I, I can't bypass this. There is some high Christology here. High teaching of Jesus is what I mean to say in a High Christology. That challenges are airbrushed, whittled down, domesticated Jesus. Here he says, depart from me. Do you know what scripture that, that likely refers to? Revelation chapter 20. In Revelation chapter 20, you have the great white throne judgment. It is a, it is a, whew, wow. Read Revelation 20, the great white throne judgment. With small and the, de- small and the great, everybody will stand before the Lord outside of Christ, and, and they will be cast into a lake of fire. Jesus is the one that's on, the preeminent member of the Godhead, I believe, on the throne there because he said in John chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, the Father judges no man, but has committed all judgment to the Son that all might honor the Son even as they honor the Father. Somebody says, it sounds like you're trying to frighten me out of hell into being a Christian. You ever heard people say that? You know, this fire and brimstone stuff? I'm not, but maybe Jesus is. You think? Now, that's not the only way Jesus appealed to sinners, right? There's all kinds of why we read the gospel so many different ways. But that is one of the things that we did. And is that rather disingenuous to say that is not a posture that we should take? Not the only one. But that's just, D.A. Carson points this out. He said, let's say, let's say you go home 
uh, in just a few minutes. And you're going to your house, and there's a house on fire down the street. And you start yelling to the occupants of the house, get out of the house, it's on fire. Do you think anybody would say to you, oh, they're just trying to, you're just trying to frighten them. Yeah, you're trying to frighten them for their good, right? Because you don't want injury to come upon them. And sometimes, baby, Jesus puts it on the barrel. He says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? That's not a Hallmark or Coffee Cup Christian verse, verse, but it's, it's in the Bible. Jesus said it. He said in Mark 8, 36, what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? So he's saying in this section, beware of false converts. Don't be one. And then he gives a final warning, verses 24 and 27, through 27. This is the big idea of this parable. Let me just summarize. Is that true faith in Jesus Christ kicks off a life of building on him, right? Of building on the word of God. Again, very inconsistently, very imperfectly. At times we're going to be just hypocrites. But it does begin a life of building ourselves on his word. It's the word, it's obedience, right? It's obedience. And it's only those people, listen, in this parable, there's a storm. One house remains standing. What happens to the other house? Just like you see in the hurricanes and storms that, that hit our house is gone. He's talking about us there, right? There is a coming storm. The storm of God's judgment. And the only people who withstand that storm are people who built their lives on the rock. And let's be clear, what, what keeps us sheltered from the storm is not, at the end of the day, our obedience, but the obedience of the one who 2,000 years ago on a criminal's cross went through the storm of God's wrath in place of sinners like you and I. He, the God of ages, left the glory of heaven to wear my sin and to bear my shame. That's what he did for us, right? He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Might be declared righteous and then I might begin to walk out a life of righteousness. That's the heart cry of everyone who knows Christ. Alas, and did my Savior bleed and did my sovereign die? Would he devote his sacred head for such a worm as I? We boast in the cross. Verses 28 and 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. If a renowned heart surgeon said, after they did a full profile on you, said, you need heart surgery, would you say, man, you don't know nothing. I was just watching something on YouTube, and there's another way to do this. Right? Would you do that? Well, some of us actually might. That's idiotic, right? If you ran a large company, and and your your computers crashed, and you brought in an expert, and that person said, what you got is this kind of virus, and this is what we got to do. I saw on YouTube that if I just unplug my computer and plug it back in, it'll be fine. And yet we think we have more authority in spiritual things than the God who made us. Huh? He is the authority because he is our creator. And he's the only redeemer. The only redeemer. And all the, well, you know there's other interpretations that Christians can hold. All the, well, I read on the internet Or some Christians say, does not change the authority of who he is, what he's done, and what he said. You can reject his authority, but you cannot evade it. Because one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Maybe you are on the broad way. You've known all about Christianity. You've even maybe prayed an orthodox sinner's prayer. But you've never really encountered the crucified, resurrected, 
life-changing Christ. And you, your truth be told, your, your, your life is not oriented on the living God. It's oriented on all kinds of other idols. Today would be the day of your salvation. The Bible says, harden not your neck as on the day of provocation. For those who be warned will suddenly be cut off, the scripture says, and that without remedy. Today is the day of salvation. Harden not your heart to hear his voice. Turn to him. Turn to him. Turn to him. And if you are on the narrow way, Paul goes on to say in Philippians 3, let us then shine as children of God like lights in a crooked and twisted generation. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Team, if you would come. I appeal to whoever here with everything in my being that if you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't know him. You know about him, but you don't know him. That if you, would, if you would repent of your sin and turn to him and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, he would save you. He would save you. I remember when I was at that crisis decision, I was 26 in the Marine Corps, heart just beating out of my chest. Because I knew that if I really turned to Christ, my life would be turned around. And I'll never forget the peace and joy that flooded my soul when I turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. I lose that peace and I lose that joy sometimes because I do it my own way after that. But God keeps those who are really his. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? If you want to receive Christ, that's only because the Holy Spirit's doing something in your heart. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. There'll be uh, a pastor, a couple people back near the AV booth this, where you see um, in the back of this auditorium. And if that's you, when we stand up to sing, when you go back there and when you get counsel from somebody who can show you from God's word how it is you can be saved. Maybe you know everything you need to know. You just need to crumble and surrender right here. Would you do that? And then would you let somebody know you did? And I want to pray for the one who is just so sensitive and you actually really do know the Lord and stuff like this can be very jarring. Just do what you do every time. Run back to the cross, right? Run back to the cross. So, Father, I ask that as we rise in just a moment and stand to our feet, that everyone here would truly be on the narrow way that leads to life. And any who are not, they would turn we thank you that we're safe from God, for God, by God. We thank you for your infinite sacrificial love. You could have balled us up and throw us to the eternal bin, and yet you placed our sin on Christ that we might be forgiven and children of God. Oh, Lord, make somebody a child of God here this morning, I ask. In Jesus' name.